0: So usually the big tests in life seem to come early in our Christian lives. You know, the temptations regarding character and loyalty and devotion to God. Uh, But in Daniel's case, as we're going to see tonight, the greatest test of all comes toward the end. Now, it seems like the devil has saved the best for last. You know, just love to trip up a guy like Daniel right at the end, you know. Maybe he's thinking, you know, he's weary, he's he's late 70s, early 80s, and, and maybe right before he crosses the finish line, he could just trip him up. You know, that's kind of what the devil's all about, seeking uh, someone to devour, right? That's why we're called to be sober and vigilant, Now, here in uh, chapter 6, as I said, Daniel is uh, closing in on 80, if not 80 years old, or a few years older than that. Uh, Will he compromise his faith in order to escape a torturous death? Uh, Will he stand strong, trust God, and let the chips fall where they may? Well, we're going to find out, verse 1, 1 through 3. It pleased Darius, the new king in town, (laughs) to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, King James has his excellent spirit that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So let's park there and talk about distinguishing ourselves uh, in this world through our work ethic, you see. So we're going to talk about that and imitate Daniel in this character quality. It's something that we're all called to do. So Daniel goes way above and beyond uh as far as serving God in his secular employment. You do realize he spent his whole life in a secular job. He, he's not in the ministry. <laughs> he's just serving God, and by his life indirectly, he impacts uh, his world. And that's kind of what everybody's called to do. So... As you see here in your text, Darius is the new kid on the block. There's been an administration change in the world empire. It, it, we have gone through, I'll show you the, the, um, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had when he was ruling Babylon. He was the head of gold, and now we've already gone from the head of gold and, the, and, and Babylon ruling to now the chest and the arms of silver, which brings in Darius, King Darius of the Medes uh, and the Persians. And they're kind of a, a co-Persian empire, if you will. Uh, I told you last week the Medes and the Persians are the modern day Iranians. And so the Iranians have wrestled the world powers out of the Iraq. More modern day Iraq is Babylon. So now Iran is in control of the world kingdom and the, and the leader is Darius. And so you can go back to that, those few verses. So now um, Darius here uh, comes in because Nebuchadnezzar got, or Nebuchadnezzar's son, who was reigning in Babylon uh, the night that Babylon fell, uh, King Darius was installed. So you remember that there was a drunken Babylonian bash last week. And uh, they were, you know, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, uh, wanted to pick a fight with the Lord, which wasn't very smart because he lost, right? As anybody who picks a fight with God will ultimately be the loser. And so... uh, As the dust settled that night and Belshazzar uh, was executed by the armies of Darius, Darius comes into the palace and now Darius is on the throne. And the first order of business, as you see, is to reorganize the government because he's the new king, right? And now it's no longer the Babylonians. Now it's going to be uh, serving Persian interests. And so Darius appoints 120 satraps. Now... Kind of a fitting name, easy to remember, because the satraps are going to set a trap for Daniel. Uh, you know, and has just a kind of a funny sound in English there. But the first order of business is to get his kingdom reorganized with 120. I would consider the satraps like mayors. And, and the three administrators above them would be like governors. And now uh, Daniel is so is distinguishing himself by his ex- excellent work, ethic, and character that the king, Darius, really likes this guy who he kind of inherited because he read the writing on the wall and then he was clothed in purple and put the, he was promoted. And Darius comes in and, and Daniel's standing there. Daniel's there. He's already there. And so he, he's heard all the stories, and he, he, he's so impressed, he wants to make Daniel no longer one of the governors over the 120, but he wants to make him prime minister over everybody. <laughs> now, that makes him a marked and hated man right away. Why? He's an older guy. Right and mo- everybody probably is younger than he is in the administration, and he's a Jew. Nobody likes Jews in the world. I mean, back then especially, and so we're we're in Iran, where we're in Persia, we're in Iraq, and uh, that that wasn't um, a good place for a foreigner, uh, especially in ancient times. Uh, still not today, and so. Uh, Right away, like many politicians, the primary motivation is to feather their own nest, and Darius knows this, and so, you know, ancient Middle Eastern governments were really hotbeds of bribery and corruption, you know, unlike what we have in Washington. Darius knows this, and it didn't take Darius long to figure out that the king's interests, uh, the revenues, would be safe in Daniel's hands. So you do check this out. You know, they were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. This is all about money and revenue. So, who better to guard all of these guys than a Christian, than a believer? Right, So you're going to turn to the God-fearing man among all of them to keep them all in check. And so that's exactly uh, what he's going to do. So he knows uh, of Daniel, and Daniel's proving himself. And so uh, to keep these uh, sorry satraps from lining their own pockets juggling the accounts or cooking the books or siphoning off the extra cash to stow away under their mattresses for a time they may be needing it. Uh, uh, he's got Daniel in charge. So he's he's really impressed. So he's promoted him over the other two already, and he's uh, really kind of campaigning uh, for Daniel to become president, all right? And so this made Daniel, as I said, kind of a marked man, Um even so daniel is going to distinguish himself uh, by how he's working now verse 3 just tells you you know how what a wonderful insight he's doing government work his whole life you know he's not a magi he's in charge of the magi whole thing he he's always been in government He's always doing paperwork. He's always at meetings. He's always doing those kinds of things. He's, he's not in the pastorate. He's, he's, he's a layman. He's just like everybody else. I mean, uh, he's, no, he's noted for working hard. Uh, his diligence and diplomacy, wisdom, tact, honesty, integrity, dependability in a secular job. And this is what's impressed uh, the king about the guy. He's not running around preaching sermons. He's not handing out tracts. Uh, handing out tracts is great. I, I mean, but he, that's not his calling. He's calling to work hard, to be who God made him to be, to plant him there in the government just to live his life and walk with God and let God impact the world Around him. Listen to what Paul said to the Colossians in chapter 3. And this is the principle that this believer is living by Daniel. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Christians in the workplace, it is not to be less valued than anything you would do for the Lord. In fact, you're supposed to be doing your secular work for the Lord with excellence, as if you were washing dishes in the palace of heaven, as if anything you were doing was for Jesus Christ. Christ, your Lord and Savior. That's what Colossians calls you to do, And that's how Daniel distinguishes uh, himself uh, among the other employees. And in this way, God was glorified through his diligence. Well, God may have been happy. King Darius, boss man, is pleased. He's talking about Dan- Daniel for president. <laughs> but there are 122 government officials who are not happy because they're seething with bitterness, 4 through 9. At this, Daniel for president <laughs> from the king, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent, lazy. Lazy. Careless. Finally, these men said, we're never going to find anything to charge this guy with unless it has something to do with the law of his God. What a compliment. Verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went as a group, and they always do, to the king and said, oh, King Darius, live forever the royal administrators, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. Okay, so number two, the plan of the enemy. Now, Ephesians chapter six, the New Testament, gives us insight to what's always going on behind the scenes when it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spirits and the powers in heavenly places that use and prompt and manipulate human beings. The real battle is never the human being, Paul says. It's always the forces behind, right? And so there's a force behind these 122 guys. And that force wants to take Daniel down. And uh, they're going to attempt to do that. Now... Uh, you know the saying in the world, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Well, you know, I, under, I really get that. I understand, because I mean, we live in a fallen world, and so when you do something good or right or true or honest, you can rub people the wrong way, because the, the biblical definition of good isn't necessarily the world's definition of good, and especially if you're trying to help somebody, too. It's like putting your neck out and you know, you're putting yourself at risk. And so, uh, you know, not everyone appreciates or values uh, uh, the, your good thing. Jesus was the king of good deeds, and he wound up being nailed to a cross. And so, Daniel's uh, goodness is rubbing folks the wrong way. So what are they all mad about? Well, Daniel Daniel has integrity, and that's convicting them of their lack of integrity. It's kind of getting in the way of their ill-gotten gain. They can't make their extra money because there's always somebody looking over the books. And so they're, he's irritating them that way. And then he keeps getting promoted. And, and so instead of saying, hey, did you hear Daniel, the old guy, the, the Jewish guy, the ones that are different from all of us, the king just loves the guy and keeps promoting him, promoting him, promoting him. Aren't we all so happy for him? Let's throw a party for him. Yeah, no. They're envious. They're jealous. And so uh, they're seething with that kind of envious uh, bitterness. And that's how uh, this murderous plot gets hatched. So um, they begin by saying, let's just find a way to get him fired. You know, let's ruin his candidacy uh, for president. In verse four, they scrutinize his work record. They go back years and years and years. Uh, His government um, uh, employment, you know, history. And so they, you know, we can temporize it. You could say uh, they hire a PI, right? They do background checks. They follow him all over the place. Uh, They search through all his emails because, of course, he kept his emails. (laughs) What? (laughs) They go through his Facebook. They audit the books. They check his taxes. Oh, guess what? He paid them all <laughs> on time. And honestly, what a concept. Uh, they interview all the pretty Babylonian girls who he's worked with. Not one of them had a complaint. They tried setting them up. You, we don't even know the half of what they did. But they come back to their meeting and they're just baffled. Look, what's up with this guy? He's a machine. We're never going to find anything Against him, they come up empty handed in verse four. I love it. They could find no corruption in him. That kind of hit me today. What do you mean they can find no corruption in him? He has a human wicked heart like all the rest of us. Why can't they find corruption in him? There's corruption in him. But he walks in the spirit. So he, he will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. That's a New Testament promise. He has a wicked heart. He has a fallen nature. But, but you're not going to see that. Instead, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do you see? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Because that's the fruit of the Spirit that he enlarges in his life. I just was like, no corruption in him? Come on. We all have corruption in us. But if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to hold that beast down. And God says, we're supposed to cooperate and put it to death to crucify it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Daniel's doing, even in the Old Testament. And, and so I like what one writer said. Oh, uh, no corruption found in him. Oh, but there is corruption in Daniel or the remnants of such. Daniel, like all of us, have a sinful nature. Why couldn't they find evidence of such? Because he walks in the Spirit and as as a result, He reflects God's character and isn't um, reflecting the sinful nature. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. I like how the new living has it, has it this way. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So it's not that we don't have a sinful nature It's that it doesn't need to call the shots and control us when we have the Holy Spirit, amen? Now, when you're trying to find dirt on a guy who's trustworthy, not corrupt, and not negligent, um, you're gonna be looking a long time. And so what they do is they get desperate and they say, let's set a trap. Said the sat traps. (laughs) So what to do? What to do? The only way we're gonna trip this guy up as if it has to do with devotion to that God of his. Oh, what a compliment. Somebody could say, the only fault I'm going to find about you is that it has something to do with the way you serve the Lord. That's the only place we're going to go, ah. Wow, that's pretty cool. So here comes the plant. So, um, you know, I can just hear them saying, you know, what are we going to do? Well, one guy says, whenever I pass his house, morning, noon, or night, the windows are open and all the guy does is pray, pray, pray. You know, hey, uh, you know, what if he couldn't do that for a whole month? What if he couldn't do that for 30 days? Oh, so now the plan is starting. So the 122 of them, with some help from the devil, um, go and with this ingenious plan, and here's the presentation. They go into the king's presence, safety in numbers. The mob goes in, uh, you know, to overwhelm and distract. And of course, here's what they say. Oh, king, long life to you. May this new position go on forever. And now here the, here they go. I'm paraphrasing. All your recent employee uh, appointees who adore you have come up with a plan that we think you're going to like. Now, uh, Did I mention all of us have agreed? Yeah, all of us, 122. Well, there's a third, right? Oh, we've all agreed. Oh, it's not just us, it's all of us, all right? And so we all agree. Let's let the world know that there's been a change, right? There's a new administration. We're no longer about Babylon, we're about Persia. So how better to tell the whole world and get them used to having a Persian King Darius than to to send out a decree that anybody who who, who asks of a god anything is going to end up in the lion's den. They need to to learn how to spell your name and breathe your name and pray your name. And and his head's getting bigger and bigger, blown up with pride. Uh, So... They're saying, suspend all routine worship service to various gods for a month. And after a month, they can go back to their regular routines. You know, we're not asking them to go against their gods. We're just saying, take a break and insert King Darius into your prayer life. Take a break from the gods that you ask for. And by the way, King, we want 100% compliance. Uh, This is not optional. Right. Uh, so it's so important. Let's make it a capital offense. All right. The death penalty. Um, it's been a while since the lions have eaten. And we think, uh, why don't you sign this little document that we've written up for you? You don't have to worry about anything. Here's the pen. You know, you know, the kind of law that we want to legislate, the kind that cannot be changed. And they, they, they say that about five times, you know, just so you know, it can't be Changed, and so uh, we wouldn't want some rebellious Babylonian to to be hanging on to the old ways. Uh, so. Uh, we, are, we are going to make sure it's a capital offense and this law cannot be changed. So the king's response, you know, it kind of works. It looks like it works. Darius' head, head is swelling, as I said. Uh, his grin spreads wide. Uh, he doesn't bother to see that his favorite uh, satrap and administrator is missing. What's about the top guy who I want to be president? What does he think? Oh, yeah. We're all in agreement. He's out on the golf course. You know, I don't know what they said. (laughs) But he doesn't bother because he's pretty distracted. Hand hand me the pen. So he signs it. All right, verses 10 through 13. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Uh, Didn't you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prayed to any God or man except to you, O king, would be thrown in the lion's den? Just want to know, just asking. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles, hello, the captives from Judah, the Jewish guy, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Wow. So number three here, we've got trusting in God instead of fearing man. Now, Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. This is just exactly what we have here. Now, Mr. Consistent, I mean, can the spies really scarcely believe their eyes? You know, someone tells Daniel about it and they're watching him. And so they watch him hear the news. He goes home. He goes upstairs, opens the windows, and prays about it. Of course he does that because that's what believers do. When you're faced with a problem or a challenge or a dilemma or a fear or something that's conflicting inside of you, what do you have to do? You have to go home and pray about it. And so he does. He opens his windows. And, you know, don't think he wasn't tempted. He knows it's a capital offense, Here's, a, here's how he could tweak things and not even and have a problem with God. You know, uh, what, what, what he could do is he could close the windows and pray. He could go into a closet. He could take a break. He could pray silently to himself. He knows God can hear him on the inside. There's lots of ways this devil was saying, hey man, Save yourself from the lions, dead man. There, there's ways around this without totally sinning. Where's it say in the Bible? You know, you have to pray out loud three times a day with the windows open everybody can see you. Come on, man. Use your common sense. <laughs> uh, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to trust in the Lord. You know, it says in Proverbs, anybody who trusts in himself is a fool. Anyone who trusts in himself is a fool. That's the word of God. And he's not going to trust in himself. He's going to go home and do what he's always done. And where's it going to stop if he does? Where's it ever going to end? It's going to hit him again. And then he's going to have to make another compromise. He's not going to play the game. He, he knows full well what's going on and he's saying, you want to play with, you want to test God? Come on, game on. Uh, I'm in. Let's do this. Open the windows, get down on my knees. I'm not showing off. I do this every day. This is what I do. I'm not changing it. Yeah, We'll throw you in the lion's den. Okay. Uh, my God can save me, even if he doesn't. I'm not stopping. Right? Just like his Jewish friends. And so... Um, You know, it reminds me, remember the Jewish Supreme Court that told the apostles, you will not fill Jerusalem with that name of Jesus. And they flogged them, and they threatened them uh, to kill them. And they come out, and here's what they say. Well, they call them in again, and I'm reading from Acts chapter 5, and they command them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. Now, in Romans 13, we're called to obey Jesus the authorities, to submit to them, but not when their laws make us violate his laws. And here's what they say. But Peter and John stood up to them and said, judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Yeah, you know, normally we'd be be glad to obey you. You're the Supreme Court of Israel but in this matter, you're telling us not to do what God has told us to do? So judge for yourself, figure this out. Ask yourself the question, uh, should people obey man or God? I mean, they put it back on them, and that's kind of Daniel's attitude here. So it's business as usual for steadfast Daniel. He's uh, inspired uh, by uh, facing, it would be facing west from uh, Iraq, right? And uh, he prays toward Jerusalem. Why Solomon said in his dedication prayer about Jerusalem and the temple, he said, if we're taken captive and taken away from this land and put it on our hearts to pray toward Jerusalem, to remember that you will restore us to this land. You, You see? And so he knows the prophecies in Jeremiah 29. God's people would return after exile, to Jerusalem. So he's doing what a lot of Christians do. It's going to help them to be inspired to have a consistent prayer life. And so what he likes to do, he likes to open the windows and kind of face in an inspirational way that reminds him someday, and he's going to live to see it. He's lived the 70 years of captivity, and we're about in the year that Cyrus is just about to say, okay, Jews, I want you to go home. And so he keeps the windows open. That's why he's looking at Jerusalem. It just encourages him to to think about God and his promises. And and notice how he prays. He prays with thanksgiving. That's what he's doing three times a day. He's thanking God. Now, one, one writer put it this way. Perhaps if we were more cognizant, of God's gracious hand in our lives and how much he's done for us and continually doing for us and and always blessing us, we would address him more frequently and consistently. Daniel's just really aware of, wow, God has really blessed me. And three times a day, he's motivated to pray, not out of a sense of, I gotta pray, you know, it's morning, noon, or night. He's just so thankful That he just can't wait to start his praying by kneeling down and praying and saying, God, thank you for, thank you. He's just overflowing with gratitude. Uh, We know more reasons to be more thankful than Daniel. Because we know what Jesus did. He only sensed what Jesus was going to do. And he was thankful. So the mob goes to Daniel's house. They ring the bell. And he's like, "Uh, come on in, guys. I'm just on my knees asking God for help. You know, verse 11. And so off the bloodthirsty tattletales go running to the king. And uh, time to get straight to business, verse 12. I love it. Uh, They just come into his presence. They get straight to the point. Yes or no? First question, here we are. We just want to know, we got a question. Did you or did you not sign into legislation, sign into law? Anyone who prays to another God except you for the next 30 days is fed to the lions, yes or no, king. Now he's got an eyebrow up. Like, well, what's up? Who 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 you want to feed to the lions? You know, he he's waiting because he knows and he says, yeah, I did. I'm interested to know who's out there, who'd you get, who'd you you catch? And they're all, so there he says it. Verse 13. Who's first to go into the den, boys? Daniel, your favorite, your little Jewish captive. He pays no attention to you. He's over there praying up a storm three times a day like nothing ever happened. He couldn't care less. Verses 14 through 17. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He likes Daniel. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, now remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Oh, that's beautiful. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. It just reminds me of Jesus and the tomb and death and Jesus going to come out unharmed. <laughs> and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. So, yeah, suffering for Jesus, it's something that uh, the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God are privileged to do. Um, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 puts it this way. Uh, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And so um, the jig is up, as they say. The king's eyes are open now. He should have seen that coming. I'm sure he's thinking that to himself. Uh, their brazen conspiracy and their, their uh, deceitfulness. Um, he's greatly distressed in verse 14 uh, because he likes Daniel. He wanted him to be president. He, he's, he admires him. He's, Daniel's having an impact on him you know he's heard all the stories everybody's told him the stories from daniel chapter one on he likes daniel and he likes his god he likes the idea of a god who would be able to do what he wants to see happen with the the shutting of the mouths you know he doesn't want to lose daniel and he's miffed he's been manipulated and he knows it now right and so, you know, he makes a valiant effort. So what does that include? Well, surely he's gone to some of the, the, the lawyers, right? And um, maybe, uh, maybe he's feeding, feeding the lions secretly, you know, you know? But he can't do anything because they come as a group. They find out, hey, the king's trying to get out of it. So they go as a group and they out themselves further Oh, just so you know, even though we've mentioned it three or four times in this chapter, you can't do a thing. We want that Jew fed and dead, fed to the lions and dead, right? And there's nothing you can do about it. They hear he's trying to rescue Daniel and they go and they remind the king again. That's really, uh, that's really a lot of nerve. And this, yeah, I would have said chutzpah, but they're Gentiles. So you can't have chutzpah if you're not a Jew. If you're a Jew, if you've got one parent, at least, that's been a Jew. Or is, whatever. I'll keep moving on now. So he has until sundown. They come in, oh, no, no, not so fast, you know. Uh, So the king's reluctantly the king says okay oh no to the head executioner go and get daniel and bring him to the lion's den and then in this unprecedented move he escorts daniel down to the open mouth of the pit as the king and he says hey and he's looking at him with anguish he's a friend he's an older man his heart goes out to this guy and he says daniel oh man May the God I watch you continually serve. May he save you from all of this. And he turns around and he walks away distraught as he hears, they're hungry. They are hungry and they are, they're hearing voices. They know, oh, it's supper time. (laughs) And so they're making noises and the king is listening to their growling and snarling. And he's looking at Daniel and he's, oh, oh, may that God of yours come through for you, man. That's what I hope. And he walks away. I like you, Daniel. You're the real deal. I want to believe. I want there to be a God like that. So down Daniel goes into the starving lion's pit and... They they roll the stone over and they seal it with the signet ring, 18 through 23. Then the king returns to his palace, spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He couldn't sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he's calling out Daniel in an anguished voice. This guy... He's got a bromance going on, you know? (laughs) He's got a man crush on Daniel, all right? Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, I kind of think I'm going to hear you down there, been able to rescue you from the lions? There's a pause, you know why? Because Daniel's just waking up. He's like, oh. (laughs) Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. All right, so the promise of rescue As we saw Sunday in Hebrews chapter 11, God always rescues. The question is, does he rescue us from, as he just did here, or does he rescue you through? Let me assure you, if the lions' mouths were not stopped, Daniel would still, the true Daniel, the essence, the real Daniel, would be lifted out of that pit unharmed with eternal life, with eternal life. It just would not matter. But God allowed this to happen to, to show everybody that the, the ultimate reality of salvation is, is that whether we are delivered from something or we go through it, and to the naked eye, it appears like it's a sad ending. Oh, no. We are always, 100% of the time, lifted up and out unharmed without the smell of smoke, like uh, even on your clothes, when you get to heaven, it won't matter if you were martyred or how you were martyred or what you went through to get there. You will be 100% um, whole. No wound was found on him. Uh, That's a universal truth of what it means uh, to be saved. Now, poor Darius, really? You know, how ironic. The king in the palace without faith With all the royal privileges, is miserable, anxious, and fearful, right? Then we've got the victimized believer in the lion's den with faith, who's got the peace and who's unafraid. You know, Daniel's doing way better than the king. Go ahead. What's the difference? One's trusting in God; the other one's starting to learn how to trust in God. So we see the king's really distraught, man. He loses his appetite. They bring the traditional trays. I don't know what they eat. Roasted pheasant under glass. (laughs) And he turns away, turns it away. How can he eat anything imagining his friend a bloody mess? You know, I don't have an appetite tonight. Thank you very much. And they say, How about the harpists and the singers and the dancing girls? Not tonight. Because you could turn up the music, but I have a conscience, and my conscience can hear the sound. Of crushing bones. So, I, you know, you can turn off the music, but I'm going to hear something else tonight. So he goes to bed and he's thinking, I'm just going to go to bed, and pull the covers over my head, and wake up in the morning, but he can't sleep. The Holy Spirit's all over this world leader. He's going to be coming to the Lord just like Nebuchadnezzar. And it's all because of Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, not preaching on street corners necessarily, but just living their life out day to day, trusting God and doing things God's way. And so in anguish, you know, without having breakfast, first light of dawn, no shower, Nothing to eat. He's down there and he's yelling before he even gets there. Apparently somebody's already rolled the, the stone away. You know, and he's yelling down, he sees the opening and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God. Uh, he knows, servant of the living God, as opposed to all the fake ones we have around here. You know, has your God come through for you? Was he able to save you from the lions? Long life to you, king. Yes, my God is able, here I am, and he's looking down there. I can only imagine the lions are not happy. <laughs> they're not happy, they're hungry, okay, and they've been robbed of some food, and, and, and he's being lifted out, oh man, they're, they're just not happy campers. I'll tell you what, two days ago, there's a woman in South Africa, 22 years old, they tell you I've been on those safaris. They tell you roll up the windows, do not roll down your window. She rolled down her window, a lion came up close. She rolled down the window and she taking pictures and the lion jumped in the window. And she's not with us anymore. And the guy, the the guide sitting next to her is in the hospital. Yeah. Don't mess with hungry lions, I think we're just desensitized to the story. Hey, eh? I've been hearing this since I wasn't, was in third grade. But the reason I bring up the the South Africa is because he's standing next to crazy, hungry, frenzied wild beast lions. I want you to see that. I want you to just picture, you know, some overfed Labrador retrievers. <laughs> <laughs> We had one that was real fun. Wally it was like 200 pounds. Poor guy. Real beautiful, but not real smart. <laughs> you know, if somebody came in the house, he'd just lick them to death, you know? Yeah, it wasn't like that, man. People could hear them. They were drooling. They're hungry. So verse 23 is overjoyed, you know? He's on his way to knowing the Lord. They pull Daniel out. Everybody's encircling and checking him out. They're like, turn around again. They want to see. And they're like so surprised. Not a scratch. How is that possible? And they're looking down and they're going crazy because they just got robbed of a meal. And so how is it possible? They're not all laying down yawning. They're down there. Jumping up and ro- roaring and pawing, how is it possible you can have not a scratch on you with that going on? Trusted in God. Oh, they were, they were amazed. They were, they were amazed. No, no scratch on him, and those lions were furious. Um, the Lord will rescue me, Paul writes at the end of his life the lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen so just so you know you trust god with your life he's going to rescue you every single time and the time you think he didn't rescue you because it happened You lost. He actually did rescue you. And you're safe. Jesus said in Matthew 10 to his disciples, they're going to kill some of you, but don't worry. Not a hair on your head will perish. Check it out, Matthew 10. He says, you have nothing to be afraid. They're going to kill you. Next verse, but don't worry. Not a hair on your head will perish. It's because the eternal self, who we truly are, eternal life, untouchable. It's untouchable. So he rescues you. Now, word of this miracle gets back to some of the sad traps. All right. The bad guys uh, who spearheaded the whole operation, deposed Daniel, right? They're they're, they're hearing, hey, man, the lions, the mouths were shut. Uh, There's something about an angel. He prayed and an angel came down, shut their mouths and he's he's up and talking to the king. Now, Scooby-Doo would say, Roar, <laughs> roar! <Ruh-roh. laughs> oh yeah alright here's a sad one verse 24 at the king's command the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and kids and before they reached the floor of the den the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones did I not try to tell you this I try to tell you they're really hungry, and they're mad. They're angry, right? So they didn't even have time to make it, to to be lowered, all right? Now, let's talk about this, the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, Here's the Proverbs, Proverbs 26 and verse 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. One writer put it this way, intentions to hurt others is always an investment in one's own demise. Always. And so you have the the law of, you know... uh, Yeah, sowing and reaping. Thank you. Now, um, pretty amazing. Ancient dictators who had absolute authority... You know, they didn't need the Miranda warnings or they didn't need to have a search warrant or they didn't need to do anything. They just knew, I'm really mad right now and you're all going to die. Uh, you deceived me and you, uh, you tricked me and you pulled the wool over my eyes. And so now round them up and throw them in there. He gives the orders and the bad guys and everybody associated with them. Now it's horrendous to hear about the wives and the kids this was against Jewish law. We're not in Israel. Or we're in Iraq, Iraq. And in Iraq, without God, that's what you're gonna get. Bring the wives and kids too. And, and you know, under the age of accountability, merciful God, those kids, you'll meet those kids. It's a free pass for kids. They're, they're, they're not accountable. Right, I, wherever that age is, God knows. But if they're little kids, we're going to see them. And if the wives are calling out, we're going to see them, right? But uh, here's what one per, one guy wrote about this: When the evil men were plotting their conspiracy to murder their rival Daniel, they never gave any thought to what that might mean for the wives and their children. Just like all crimes of passion. No one realizes the full extent of the harm caused to those around them, to those they claim to love, and those who love them, until the consequences have come full circle and those close to them share in the reaping of the whirlwind. It happens all the time. Some guy, you know, having his midlife crisis, you think he's thinking about his wife and kids, but he crushes them and loses them all. And it can work either way. Nobody stops to think. It's not a new phenomena that the wife and kids get thrown in to the same judgment as the sinning husband or the sinning wife. But just me, I'm not hurting anybody. Just my own little thing. Uh, No, it's not. We're connected. So let's finish up. We've got one line, couple verses and we're done. Just a couple comments. And King Darius writes to all the people, nations, and men of every language throughout the land May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God <laughs> and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He pers- performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Now, what I like about this is here's what he says quickly. Number one, to the world. Here's a map of who he's writing to. Yeah, the world. 2.9 million square miles, 50 million people are getting a memo that says, number one, Daniel's God, the Jewish God, is alive, unlike our dead ones. Number two, Daniel's God rules the world. It's eternal, unlike our human governments. And number three, Daniel's God saves and rescues, unlike our fake gods who can't really help us. Um, That's pretty amazing that that's going to go out to the whole world And tell them it's about the God of Daniel, the God of Jerusalem, the God of Israel. And and so how did this all happen? Like I said, I want to encourage you tonight. Somebody came into my office and was talking to me a long time ago about feeling, I don't do enough. I don't do enough. I'm not doing anything. Well, you love the Lord, right? And you're in fellowship, Right. And you've got like nine kids, right? He's got a lot of kids. He's got a wife. He's got employment issues. He's got uh, complications at home. But he loves the Lord. He's in fellowship. And I'm like, well, what do you think you should be doing? Well, you know, I'm not leading anybody to the Lord. And I'm not like passing out tracks. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're not an evangelist. He's not an evangelist. God puts gifts on certain people. They're pastors. They're Bible experts. They're evangelists. They're, they're gifted to do that. And, I, and other people are lay people who just love the Lord and shine their light, generally speaking, how they live. This is how Daniel lived. This is how Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego lived. They just lived their life for Jesus in a foreign land. They learned to sing songs of the Lord in a foreign land, as the psalmist says. And, and you know... You know what First Thessalonians chapter four says? It says, make it your ambition to live a quiet and peaceful life, minding your own business and working hard with your hands. Make it your ambition to live a quiet and peaceful life rather than being everybody's business and everybody's face. And, you know, I'm all for, if you're an evangelist, be an evangelist. But don't put that on yourself as like, I'm not doing anything. You love your spouse, love your kids, raise them, work hard with excellence. This is what Daniel did. That's what Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego did. And they changed the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. We ask your blessing now. We just want to learn from your spirit through these examples how to better serve you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.